dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I am Jennifer Latsky, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. In this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the November 9th print edition. And Dave Bergmeier will bring us an interview with Senator Jerry Moran. And I'll chat with Emily Miller. Beisel, uh, she's a former Southwest Kansas barrel racer who's headed back to the national finals rodeo. And I'll bring us the latest on the grain markets. Hey, that's right, Kayleen. By the way, folks, if you haven't already heard, to show our support for 4-H, High Plains Journal will be donating 25% of all of our subscription revenue to 4-H now through December 31st. So there is no better time to start, renew, or even gift a High Plains Journal subscription. Visit hpjsubscribe.com to get started. Again, that's hpjsubscribe.com. Sign up online and 25% of your subscription rate will benefit 4-H. And folks, you can look for interviews with our 4-H families and volunteers about how the program has provided opportunity for all in the pages of our print High Plains Journal. Well, Kayleen, it is uh, 1111 which is uh, Veterans Day on the 11th minute of the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, the guns went silent. So uh, we want to start off, start this off by thanking all of our, our veterans that are out there and your families. Thank you for your service and your sacrifice. Right, Kayleen? Right. That's My son asked me this morning on the way to school, what does Veterans Day mean? And I'm, I told him that it's the day that you honor all the soldiers that served in any capacity for any uh, part of the military and they need to be honored. Do your boys, um, do they know what the military is? I mean, is it, is it something that they see on TV and they understand or is it kind of, you know, I, I ask that because, you know, I grew up just close to Fort Riley. So all of the little boys that I grew up with all played soldier at one point in time or another. <laughs> I think they have a basic understanding of it, what it is, Sean more so than, than Chance, but I have a cousin that was in the Navy for 20 years, and she recently retired, and my dad was in the Army Reserve, so, I mean, we'll, we're, we are familiar with it. My husband's grandpa was in uh, the military and served in, I'm not sure if I'm getting the right war, but I think it was Korea. He was in the Philippines too during that time. So there's some military in the family. Good. Well, I just saw today that one of my college roommates, um, she posted that one of her sons just signed up today to uh, enter the U.S. Marine Corps. And so we are very proud and pleased of him. And uh, we wish him and everyone else um, good luck and uh, we will be keeping you as always in our prayers. And again, 
we want to thank all of our veterans for their service because um, we can only do what we do today because there was um, your your valor and your sacrifice that that paid a bill for us and we we thank you very much for that. Uh, speaking of which, we are a um, a week a, w- a week out from the the election and we are in the process of certifying results and all of that and. I know that it's been an upheaval time for a lot of folks and a lot of our listeners out there, but I think, Kayleen, I think we'd all wish all of the new office holders good luck as they take on the task of leading our nation from top to bottom. I think we're all just praying for their success, which is in turn all of our success. So good luck. Uh, Thanks for putting your names in the hats, folks, because God knows I don't want to do it. (laughs) <laughs> sounds like they have a heck of a job ahead of them some of them <laughs> well, and you know last week we lost uh Barry Flinchbaugh and uh I still I still take to heart his kings and kingmakers and and his thoughts on leadership and and folks if you haven't already go over to hpj.com we've got a lot of the um <laughs> a lot of the best of Barry as it were uh throughout the years um he he was a prominent feature in a lot of our stories, a lot of our political coverage over the last uh, 30 years or so. And so um, we want to wish his family, um, we want to let them know that we're thinking of them. Kayleen, we're a couple of days out from Turkey Day from Thanksgiving. What are you thinking? 15 days. My, my oldest child has been counting the days since November started. Is and he- I think it's because he wants to go see his cousins. And that's the, his only, only... Uh, wish for the day is to go see his co- his cousins. <laughs> so he's more of a, I like the part where I get to go outside and play with the massive number of cousins that I have versus I like the food that's on the table, huh? I think it's both. <laughs> the other night at 4-H, they asked for roll call, they asked, what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? And I was shocked that he said rolls. And... <laughs> I don't know why, because I figured fully expected the kid to say everything. (laughs) (laughs) So um, do you make the rolls or is it, you know, purchased rolls or how do you guys do it? My sister-in-law, she makes the homemade rolls. And so they're awesome. My aunt Nita, when we were kids, she was always in charge of bringing the rolls that grandma would subsequently bake or the relish plate. So, you know, what? we're always used to bought and rolls <laughs> as that aunt that usually travels. Trust me, you, you can't really make something the day of and haul it four hours or haul it 30 minutes. It just doesn't quite work out really well. You know, you, you got to plan ahead for that, but, um, rolls travel excellently. <laughs> well, it was more of her cooking abilities than it was her, her traveling. <laughs> well, now in our family, you knew that you didn't have any cooking abilities if you were handed the title of why don't you just bring plates and yeah. silverware? <laughs> How about we just do that? <laughs> you couldn't even do the relish tray. That was just the polite way of saying, Oh dear God, nobody needs to end up in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta say, my mom made rolls too, and she used a, a recipe that she got from the Kansas Wheat Commission years and years and years ago. And that has been a staple of our family gatherings since forever. And my dad would see those rising and she'd make a double batch of them and they would barely last through (laughs) Thanksgiving. 
Um, yeah. I can remember when I go back to college, she'd pack a Ziploc bag of those rolls and Kayleen, I'm not ashamed to say it, but they never made it back to the dorm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jessica's rolls are pretty good. She makes a couple different kinds and there's never any left. And I mean, I don't bake bread. I mean, very often here. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, I got to say, Kayleen, I'm a little nervous this Thanksgiving because the fella and I, we chose, we made the decision, the tough decision that we're just going to stay in Dodge city this year. And we're not going to go to relatives just because, you know, it's, it's just a little tough to gather everybody together from many different corners of the state and the state's having some challenges with uh with the virus and so we just thought it'd be a little bit more prudent to kind of zoom call in our our thanksgiving (laughs) with them but that means one terrifying thing kayleen i gotta make a turkey and i don't cook poultry (laughs) look if i have chicken breast it's pre-cooked chicken breast okay (laughs) i don't want to have anything to do with raw chicken raw poultry it's, it's gross. It's like touching a dead body, Kayleen. Ew. Well, I mean, I've made a few turkeys. I've made a couple on the trigger. We've smoked them. And I don't think I've ever cooked one in the oven. We've fried them before. And as much danger is involved in frying a turkey, that is the best turkey there ever is. (laughs) But both with the trigger turkey and the fried turkey, you have to put it in a brine. You have to soak it. You have to drown it. You have to let it set because that's what makes it taste better. Okay. So what do you brine your turkey with? Give me bourbon. some ideas here. <laughs> bourbon? bourbon. Is that it? Just bourbon? There's kosher salt and bourbon and brown sugar and peppercorns and bay leaves and oranges. You, sl- you slice oranges in half and squeeze the juice and put the whole orange in there with it. And you let it soak for, I can't remember what the recipe says. It, 24, 48 hours, maybe, but you want to get the bird drunk. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I can get the bird drunk, but are we talking like top shelf bourbon or can I just go buy the plastic jug of bourbon? That's what I bought was a plastic jug of bourbon. (laughs) There's no need (laughs) to waste your good stuff on getting the bird drunk. (laughs) But you know, what if my, what if my bird wants to, you know, go on the the Kentucky bourbon trail? (laughs) (laughs) whatever you feel necessary (laughs) we've used the cheap stuff and it tastes just fine (laughs) so I think that sounds simple enough I think I could do that I think I can see if I can find the recipe and send you a picture of it well and while you're doing that you might as well just post it over onto the Facebook page so people can actually get an an idea (laughs) of what this looks like a drunk bird because um you know me I I I'm okay as long as there's some beverages in there (laughs) Well, and we usually take all, take the bird and all the stuff up there to, to my sister-in-law's and cook the bird up there instead of cooking it here and then letting it get all soggy or whatever. But she's like, if I get all the stuff for the bird, can you just bring the, the frying stuff? And I was like, okay, evidently her husband and daughter had traded somebody for something. And so they got two turkeys they helped butcher. And she's like, how big will it hold the pot hold? And I had to go look. It's a 20 pound limit for the, for the fry pot. And she said that she thinks the one bird's probably about that big, but the other one is Godzilla bird. She said that thing is huge. It weighs about 28 pounds. (laughs) Good gravy Marie. (laughs) 
That poor bird. <laughs> that was a top heavy. That was like the Dolly Parton of birds. I would say so. <laughs> but I laughed out loud when she said Godzilla bird. <laughs> oh, you know what? My favorite thing to do is to make the side dishes. I think, you know what? I, I am okay with turkey, Kayleen. It's okay on the plate. I'll eat it if you put it in front of me. But for me, Thanksgiving is all about the side dishes. Because these are sides that you don't just get every day. I mean, you don't just get homemade stuffing at every meal. You know, these are the the things that everybody trots out once a year because there's a little bit more, you know, tradition and hoo-ha involved with them. And uh, I am pretty much banking on I'm going to make my, uh, um, our family's recipe that got handed down from friends and neighbors years ago. It's a wild rice, mushroom, and sausage stuffing. And it is good. <laughs> Didn't you bring that to an office thing at one time? I did. And everybody looked at it and they thought, what is that? What, 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 is there rice in that? What, what, why is there black rice in there? It's wild rice, people. Get some culture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what it, how it would end up at my house. We went to a Chinese place on Sunday and you would have thought the boys had died and went to hell because they had to eat rice and vegetables. <laughs> so when mom and dad were down from Montana for Christmas, my mom, um, we were, we were getting the families together, you know, um, the fellows family and my mom and dad and my mom wanted to make the stuffing for their holiday gathering. And so she, uh, she got, wild rice and you have to get actual wild rice. You don't get like the Zatarans or the, you know, the, the box stuff. You got to get actual wild rice, long grain, wild rice. It's a very special ingredient and not one you find in Dylan's anymore. And she had bought it. She'd gotten a, the just right amount, but she had packed it away in the, in the carrier of the van somewhere. And little story about my mom, when she packs for going on a trip, She'll just randomly tuck stuff in, in suitcases and bags and things and just cram it all in there. There is no rhyme or reason, Kayleen. And we spent a good solid two hours with a flashlight searching the trailer that they were pulling behind their van for this little bitty box of wild rice. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was finally in her suitcase. It was in her suitcase. <laughs> That's the last place it. they looked. <laughs> well, who packs wild rice in with their suitcase? <laughs> <laughs> Evidently my mother. <laughs> well, folks, we really hope that um, you guys are all getting ready for Turkey Day. It's two weeks out. So uh, best get your plans um, organized. Good luck if you're like me and, and you know, uh, baking a bird for the first time. Um, hope you can gather with the friends and family around you, right, Kayleen? Yeah, I hope so. Hope everybody stays well before and after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Remember, folks, just take those precautions and and um, just be careful out there. Let us know what you are planning for your Thanksgiving dinner. What's the traditions around your table? Drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com. Let us know. Or you can always call us at 1-800-452-7171. And do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and leave us a review. All right, folks, remember, get those birds bought now. Avoid the rush. 
And while you're pouring through recipe books or getting your birds drunk, turn up the speakers and ride with us here on HPJ Talk. cover story is by Kayleen. Sorghum as an ingredient in food products is increasing. She caught up with Doug Bice, the Sorghum Checkoff Market Development Director, and he said sorghum is quickly becoming a go-to super grain included in many food products and grocery stores. It's cheaper to buy from your own backyard than importing in other ancient grains for something that has such a complete nutrient profile. And several companies have new cereal and other product offerings with sorghum included. Quote, so you see sorghum utilized clearly in those applications, he said, but really the growth area for sorghum is in areas such as snacks and ready-to-eat type of product lines, he said. Kayleen also caught up with officials at Kansas State. In 2019, the Kansas Department of Agriculture and Kansas State University were awarded federal state market improvement grants by the U.S. Department of Agriculture Agricultural Marketing Service. The award of $414,000 and change helped fund the project Farm Us, a farm-to-campus collaborative to access consumer markets on Kansas college campuses. This leveraged workforce development and student innovation to create new applications and market opportunities for sorghum and wheat. Ultimately, successful prototypes will debut in the food service programs for college campuses in Kansas. Kayleen, I got to say that story was really cool. Um, it's so interesting to see food uses for sorghum. Yeah, I was kind of surprised when I ran across the the one cereal that kind of sparked the idea. So I went and actually bought some and I don't eat a whole lot of cereal anymore. My boys eat some, but they actually tried the cereal and I mean, it's not half bad. Yeah. You know, it's not anything that they're used to eating because it's not sugar-coated or <laughs> honey-coated, <laughs> but I mean, it's pretty good cereal. It's got, the one kind has dried cranberries and it has a, another nut in it, plus the super grain flakes. And, and the other one that we tried is an apple cinnamon. It's got dried apples and uh, pumpkin seeds and then the, the, the super flakes in it. So I can imagine um, college students that are doing, um, how should we say they're being adventurous with their diets um, are thinking along the lines of superfood type uh, type delicacies when they're when they're toying with things like uh, vegetarianism or going um, gluten free um, yeah. and the like. And I suppose there's other, you know, other avenues that they are uh, approaching for marketability. Right. Yeah. And, and Doug made the comment, too, about how sorghum is finding its fit in those plant-based products like the meat alternatives and, you know, different snack foods that need a little bit of processing to get them to taste like, like what they're trying to imitate. You know what? Um, We are only as good out here as the people that are using their creativity to make the food products that go on the shelves, aren't we, Kayleen? For sure. Our editor, Dave Bergmeier, wrote about the long-sought victory for cotton and soybean growers with the EPA. In late October, Administrator Andrew Wheeler approved a new five-year registration for two dicamba products and extended the registration for an additional dicamba product. 
Ryan Wolf, agronomy manager with Winfield United, said that the decision was good news for growers, particularly those producers who face tough weed pressure. Producers from Western growing regions who are fighting kosher understand dicamba's effectiveness. And Kayleen also has a story from our Soil Health View this past January. Integrated approach helps men's soil health. Michael Thompson told attendees he didn't like cattle when he grew up on his family's farm. In fact, he couldn't stand them. But he's changed his tune in recent years as they've become an integral part of improving his soil health. The Norton County, Kansas and Furnace County, Nebraska farmer has been farming for a dozen years after teaching kindergarten. Since switching to no-till, he had to change his thinking about the interactions of the crops and soils, especially since the organic matter in his soil was lacking due to grains taking it all out and making his soils, his clay soils tight. Quote, there's no veracity to the soil. We don't have any porosity and we can't get any moisture in there. That organic matter is feeding microbes and everything, end quote. And he sounds like he uses the cattle to incorporate the, the organic matter into the soil. So he gets, gets a grazing days off of his, his cover crops and it's working to improve his soil. So, you know, the more we talk with folks in the soil health industry, the more you find out that there is a symbiosis between and livestock of some sort, large animals or, or small animals, and soil health and, and crop health. And, and I think we're going to hear more about that type of uh, environment at this year's Soil Health View um, coming up in January. And folks, if you want to get on the board and, and get registered for that, we are planning an in-person event in Salina, Kansas in January. And you can um, find that information at soilhealthview.com. Net. On the opinions and editorials page, editor Dave Bergmeyer wrote in his column this week, hunting is a partnership with sportsmen and farmers. A letter to the editor comes from Bruce Schultz of Rainsford, Montana. He's the president of the National Farmers Organization. USDA loan repayment policy should be reviewed. And Jenny had her tribute to Barry Flinchbaugh, a final lesson from the Kingmaker. You can read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the print High Plains Journal or look for it online anytime at www.hpj.com. And remember, High Plains Journal will be donating 25% of all subscription revenue to 4-H now through December 31st. So there's no better time to start, renew, or gift an HPJ subscription. Visit hpjsubscribe.com to get started. Again, that's hpjsubscribe.com. Sign up online and 25% of your subscription rate will benefit 4-H. And if you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. Okay, uh, Senator Moran, kind of what were your thoughts about today as you were here in Buckland, Kansas on Veterans Day? You know, it's, it's a real privilege. It was just great to be in Buckland. Uh, a small town that's figured out year after year how to pay tribute to their own citizens who serve uh, our country. And it is something that the rest of the country ought to see and experience. Uh, the pride in the community and the pride the community has for its veterans. That was demonstrated today and, you know, another generation. We saw uh, sometimes when I'm at a veterans event or a Memorial Day event, hard to find young people there. And today we saw in Buckland that lots of school kids here. And in fact, the park that's being dedicated today is being created by a high school student as part of his Eagle Scout project. Yeah. Okay, uh, after the election and everything, kind of where do you see things right now? And, and uh, just some thoughts anyway. I know the voters spoke, but... 
Well, I mean, we have uh, our work cut out for us with, with particularly rural and agriculture. Uh, we need to make sure that the, the things that have, have happened during the Trump administration are not undone as they're related to the regulatory environment, uh, that uh, the, the trade, the, the focus on getting good markets for agricultural commodities continues. And I would say that while the Farm Bill is not next year, it's getting to be that time in which we begin the discussion. Uh, and so trying to make sure we have a, a Congress in place uh, that makes certain that uh, agriculture in rural America is not forgotten. You've worked with uh, Senator Biden and, and now Vice President and all that because he, uh, he was in the Senate when you were in Congress. So what was kind of your relationship with him? Uh, we know each other to a small degree. Uh, and of course, uh, if the election results uh, continue, if the election results hold, then he'll have the opportunity to surround himself with people that will make a significant difference. Often policy is determined by who the people are in the position, cabinet secretaries and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Things like the EPA, the FCC, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So, I mean, it is going to be, and, and again, we don't yet know if we have a Republican majority Senate. There are two races yet to be determined in Georgia, but the confirmation process, uh, it's a, one of the things about the Senate having to confirm nominees. Uh, I think in this case, it will, it will uh, work to try to, the, 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 the president will have to nominate people that can be confirmed by the Senate, which I think move them to the center. And with Senator Roberts retiring, are you planning to yourself to be on the Ag Committee, or how, how is that going to work, do you think, well, because of seniority and things like that? David, what I've said is that yeah, we will make certain that there is a Kansan on the Ag Committee. Okay. I have no doubt that uh, Senator Marshall, uh, when he becomes a senator, that the, the Ag Committee will be a huge priority for him. Right. And uh, I, I, I shared, in fact, still serve on the Appropriations Committee right. for the Department of Agriculture. But we'll make sure at least one Kansan uh, is on the authorizing committee, the Ag Committee. And that's determined by, there's a committee on committees, mm -hmm. but in large part it is determined by what you prioritize in your request. So for every opening, seniority and how that member of the Senate prioritizes what committees he or she wants determines what committees he or she gets. This is Kayleen Scott with HPJ Talk, and I'm here with Emily Miller, now Emily Miller Bysel. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Emily is a professional barrel racer. She lives in Weatherford, Oklahoma. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. And she's originally from this area, from around the Dodge City area over at Ingalls. You grew up over here. Is that right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, lived there for the first 20 years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you had horses most of your childhood, or how did you get started with the horses? Yeah, I, I mean, I had a passion for them as a little girl. Uh, I loved animals, and then, uh, you know, when I was probably about five or six, I would spend a lot of time with my grandma drawing them. Um, but as far as my family goes, they never had horses or anything. Um, you know, so didn't, you know, we didn't run cattle, and my dad's a farmer, but, um, you know, it was just, it was all crop-based and, and whatnot, and so, really, um, I wasn't exposed to horses until uh, my babysitter, and her name was Jana Wakeham, but now Jana Turner, and, um, you know, she lived about seven miles down the road, and she rodeoed and stuff, and, um, you know, kind of let me be her little shadow, and they helped us find her first horse that, 
uh, came, you know, about 20 miles uh, away in Phoenix County, and, uh, you know, it kind of just took off from there. Yeah, I remember when I was growing up, and remember the little red-haired girl on the black pony. <laughs> yes, yes, everybody knows, like, you know, it, it's those two black horses I had. I had uh, the smaller one kid, he's the one I did the barrels and bulls on, and then I had Rocky, um, and I tied goats, and I roped up him, and anyway, it's, yeah, those two horses, they were monumental, um, and, and just starting my career, and kind of giving me that confidence, and, um, you know, I, I owe those two a lot. Yeah, it sounds like it. Now, how did you make your way to Oklahoma? You went to Garden City Community College and rodeoed. Where did you go from there? Yeah, so I, I uh, got my pre done to uh, go to dental hygiene school at Garden. So I was set up to go into dental hygiene school, uh, and then the coach at Southwestern uh, was wanting me to, to come rodeo for him. And I wasn't really convinced. I was like, no, you know, like I um, – I'm ready, you know, to get those next two years of college done and, and graduate and, and be finished up, you know, with school. But, um, you know, I had a horse that was doing pretty awesome um, at the college rodeo and stuff, and I felt like I had a good chance to go back to the CNFR and, and have some success. And so, anyway, I decided, well, well you know, what's it going to hurt? I can get an extra bachelor's degree and uh, actually in Weatherford, uh, it's not through Southwestern Oklahoma State University. It's a satellite campus. Uh, for the University of Oklahoma, they have a dental hygiene program. Mm -hmm. And so um, it just, it really worked uh, for me to be able to to go to school and set up uh, for two years to college rodeo and then go straight to dental hygiene school right there in the same town. Uh, So it, I I mean, I I love it. You know, I'm still here. So it was was a good choice. (laughs) And you're still doing the dental hygiene work? Yeah, not near as much as I was. Uh, yeah, I graduated in 2016 and worked full-time for a couple of years. And then uh, the more horsepower, um, you know, I had, the, the less I was able to be in the office. And now I'm just on a, you know, PRN schedule, um, you know, which works great for me because I can kind of let them know when I'm going to be home. And, and uh, you know, if they have, you know, because some patients just prefer a certain hygienist, especially if they've been with them for a couple of years. And so mm-hmm. I can see those people and, uh, you know, it works really good because yeah, I am passionate about dental hygiene too. It's not, um, you know, it's that kind of career path will always be there for me. Yeah. Those great horses, few and far between. I wish you would come talk to my children because the whole <laughs> brushing their teeth is a complete battle. Sean, he's got cavities that they've had filled, and it's like when all your baby teeth fall out, they're all going to have <laughs> cavities on them. <laughs> yeah, right. You're like, the sweet tooth fairy, she, she did that every time cavities. Yes. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about your journey to the NFR. You got to go in 2019. The previous years, you were close, but didn't get to go. Tell me about how that played into 2019. Yeah, I uh, I was 17th in the world in 2017, and the top 15 go on the NFR. So that was that was a heartbreaker. I mean, I was really close, but also in the same sense, you know, when reflecting back on that year, uh, I accomplished everything I wanted to. You know, I had won the Paris Circuit Finals in 2016. Uh, you know, and that was finishing up a school, starting my first job. Um, you know, as a hygienist and still radioing uh, within the states of. Kansas, Nebraska, and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that was, that was uh, you know, pretty, pretty successful for me. And then I went on to the RNCFR and won it. And I was 
was like, oh, <laughs> now I get to go to Calgary. Yeah. And so then I was having to ask my boss, and I've worked for less than a year, <laughs> I need to take a month off to go to Canada. Um, you know, he was super understanding, so that was nice. And so I went to Canada. Well, I ended up, I, I won my pool at Calgary and made the finals and finished fourth up there. And next thing I know, I was in seventh in the world standings and had zero intentions of trying to make the finals that year. Uh, so that was that was pretty nerve wracking in a sense because I was not really prepared um, to be in that kind of a position, and I think my lack of experience certainly uh, showed up at the end of the season. You know, my horse got hurt, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I just didn't didn't know how to finish it out. Um, so my main did drop clear out of the top fifteen down to seventeenth, and um, you know, I had to you know New Year's start back over, and so I with that, I you know, I learned a lot from it, and that's the thing: if you're not winning, you're learning. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that was, that experience was great for me. It helped me kind of get prepared in 2018. And 2018 was essentially what I would call my building year. Um, it was the year I was kind of establishing a team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my horses were all pretty young uh, in 2017. And, and now, you know, my youngest is seven, my oldest is 10. And so they're right at that prime age where the last two years have just been a lot of fun. I mean, I've been able to, um, utilize all four of my horses and, and not wear them out, you yeah. know, and, and let them go places where they can be successful. And, and I think, uh, you know, that's just a testament of experience. I mean, knowing, knowing your horses and uh, having been up and down the road enough to know where to go, where not to go, and, and where is, a, you know, a beneficial place to, to put your horse so they can uh, go, you know, do what they love to do. Yeah. And, it saves the miles and saves the the wear and tear on everybody, including the horses Absolutely. and you. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I get a little bit tired of looking at that black dog sometimes. <laughs> I bet so. <laughs> now tell me about the NFR, your first time going, and all the things you got to experience while you were there. It was incredible. I mean, uh, uh, it's hard to describe the feeling of the NFR. Uh, you know, it's. It's a big thing. <laughs> once, once you've been once, you want to go back. Yeah. Um, no, no doubt. But it's, you know, really, truly, my favorite part probably was uh, right before, uh, you know, the rodeo starts for the night. All the contestants are in the tent. Um, you know, we have a little cowboy church service. And it's just really neat to see um, everybody there gathered. You have so much respect for the people that are there. You know, how, how hard they work to you know, qualify for the finals and, you know, all the sacrifices they made, uh, me and my family made. I mean, it's, it takes a lot. Uh, it takes a, an army of people to, to make this happen. And anyway, and so everybody's pretty serious. And then about that time, they start hanging out with big flags, and we get to fly down the alleyway for the grand entry, and it was just the coolest <laughs> thing ever. It is so fun. You know, I, I always did a grand entry as a kid, like at Little Birch's finals and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. You know, when you make, make that hot lap and then you get to sit up and, you know, and look to 17,000 people that are, you know, just piled on top of each other <laughs> in that arena and try to seek out your family and friends, it's just, uh, you know, that that right there sells the deal. I mean, that's, uh, you know, running bills is great, but that those kind of moments, that's what distinguishes, you know, the NFR from the others. Yeah. It's, it's truly amazing. You know, and it, it didn't hurt that I had a really great final either. I mean, I, I've heard <laughs> if, if you go out there and it's, you know, kind of a long 10 days if you aren't winning, which is understandable. You know, it's not like you can turn out and go home if your horse isn't working. Yeah. Um, or doesn't like the arena. You know, I was so fortunate that my horse did like the arena, which was unexpected. 
you know, I, I really didn't expect it to go as well as it did. So um, we were tickled. It was a lot of fun. I can imagine. Tell me about the start of this rodeo season. When when they first started canceling rodeos because of the pandemic and COVID nineteen, where were you at? Were, did, did some of the rodeos that you were had planned on going to get canceled right away? The the building rodeos and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, you know, I walked in the twenty twenty season with a plan. Uh, I finally, for the first time, really felt like I I knew for sure what I wanted to do with this season, where I wanted to go, where I didn't want to go. And so I actually had an extremely conservative winner. Um, I wanted to give Chongo plenty of time off after the finals. And, uh, you know, because I'm going to lose 10 days in a row on him. It's a lot. And I felt like he earned it. And so I, I skipped a lot of the winter reviews. I didn't go to Odessa. I didn't go to San Angelo. Um, you know, I, I was, I mean, I caught a barrel at Jackson to, to win the rodeo. Um, didn't have any luck at Denver. Uh, you know, and I, I, just really wasn't having the winner I wanted, but I, I was confident. I was like, you know, my horse really loves Canada. Uh, we had a great showing at Sonoka and Calgary last year. And so I was like, I'm going to sit back. I'm good. And we're going to, we're going to rough this thing come July and head north. And anyway, um, so actually from our season starts October 1st. So from October 1st to essentially June 1st, um, I had only went to eight rodeos. <laughs> When, so I, the, when the year before, how many rodeos did you go to during that time period? Yeah. Um, <laughs> probably close to 25 or 30. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've been to truly about a third or a fourth as many as what uh, I typically had. And I know uh, I was not in the top 15. Um, I think I was somewhere around the 20th position. And, and I think I had probably one of the lowest rodeo counts of anybody in the top 20 just because, you know, a lot of those rules that they have really good Texas building horses, you know, that do really well. Mm-hmm. It's not that I did I just, I, I knew that Calgary was good to me, and I was like, I'm going to let it rest, and that's where we're going to go, and uh, all of a sudden, <laughs> COVID happens, you know, and Rodeo Awesome, which was such a big win for me last year, um, you know, that was supposed to be coming up in a couple weeks, and I really had been saving Chongo for that rodeo, um, and uh, anyway, they canceled, and Houston calls everything off, and Jordan, Mercedes, and you know, several others that we've entered, uh, you know, when we were supposed to be down around Houston, start canceling, and I'm just sitting here going, oh no, this isn't good, yeah. you know, and I, for the first time, I'd actually kind of planned to go to California, I've never been to California for the month of April, uh, you know, just because I've always had, had set days at work, mm-hmm. and so it was not really feasible for me to go to California and fly back and forth to work, so I just always skip that month, um, but I, I was planning on taking Bo out there. I thought it would be a really great seasoning experience for him. Um, and he's the youngest horse that I have competed on this year. And Anyway, and I thought, okay, well, there goes California. We're going to get back to this show, you know, after, it'll, it's just going to be, you know, five, six weeks. And, you know, lo and behold, like, I mean, it's all year, and it's still happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're still losing rodeos. And so I went to half as many rodeos this year, and I felt like I went to uh, five times as many. I mean, it was uh, very emotionally draining. You know, we spent a lot of time behind the wheel just because, uh, you know, the, usually you can hit a cluster of rodeos. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to go to the Dakotas or if you want to go to the Northwest or Utah and Wyoming, um, I mean, you can, you can hit four or five of them within 
you know, a couple hours of each other and save yourself some driving miles. Uh, you know, and if you want to get all the big ones, you're going to have to travel. But usually you could at least hit a cluster, some good ones, and a few, few bigger radios in between. And that wasn't happening. Yeah. You know, we were having to drive everywhere. I mean, I over the 4th of July, I was in um, Prescott, Arizona, the night of the 1st. I finished my second round at midnight. And I had to be in Roundup, Montana by 9 a.m. the morning of the 3rd. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, it was uh, <laughs> It was a lot of miles. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, it was not the plan I had in mind. Not for the faint of heart either. <laughs> no, no, it definitely, I mean, it, it separated the girls from the women for sure. Oh, I bet. <laughs> and you were planning a wedding in in the middle of all this too, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. I had this brilliant idea in May of 2019 uh, when we got engaged. I was like, I am going to schedule this wedding a year and a half out. So there's no stress, plenty of time to plan it, but here it comes, you know, 2020 and all of its lovely perks. So, yeah, it was, that was, a, that was pretty stressful, to be totally honest. We just, I mean, all year, we just had no idea if we were going to be able to have people, have our family. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom had a huge family. Um, you know, I mean, it just, in general, like, we were, we were planning a big wedding, and just completely uncertain or a good portion of it whether or not it actually happened. Yeah. So I'm super thankful. I mean, we were able to, like, to have a wedding. You know, there was a lot of family that weren't able to come, you know, and it just high-risk people, and I, I totally understand that, and that was our stance on it. Like, if, you know, if you're high-risk and uncomfortable, please don't, <laughs> don't yeah. come. You know, we'll, we'll celebrate at a different time. Yeah. But, um, you know, for everybody that that wasn't, I, I mean, it was, it was great. We honestly probably had 250 people there and it was a heck of a party. <laughs> I bet so. Rodeo people usually have good parties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I told all my girl friends. Like, Thank goodness, most of the time we are running barrels and not partying and tearing up the dance floor. I promise you, it's different. This is what we did in our spare time. It would not be good. Yes. There would be no barrel racers. Right? Yeah, no kidding. Our, our lifespan would be dwindling. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad it went off without a hitch. And it looks like you're going to head to the NFR again in Arlington in less than a month. So what are you doing to prepare to head to the your next NFR? Yeah, well, I mean, as much homework as we can without really knowing anything. And I yeah. know that's kind of a, um, not a great statement. Um, but it, I mean, it's, it's tricky just because, you know, this will be the first radio held at Globe Life Field. And we're super thankful to be there. It's a phenomenal stadium. So, uh, really excited. You know, we're going to make history. I mean, we're, we're going to be the, the first girls to compete, um, you know, there at Arlington, Texas and in that arena. And so that's exciting in itself, but also, you know, as far as preparation goes, there's not a lot um, that we can really have, you know, as mm-hmm. far as like, doing our homework and knowing the ground conditions and knowing what the setup's like and well, how big is the pattern? Are they going to sit in the center of the arena? Are they going to the shoots? You know, are we going <laughs> to have an alleyway? Are we going to be in a Like, there's so much that goes into preparing for the finals uh, prior that, you know, we don't really have that this year, but the thing is, it is the same for all 15 of us. Uh, you know, we're all kind of rookies this year. Uh, so, yeah, that, uh, that'll be interesting to see, you know, how, how it pans out and, and who can adapt, but, um, you know, to what, what the setup will be. Uh, I will say this, I'm thankful that I got to compete at the American. 
this year, uh, which was right across the road at AT&T Stadium, uh, just because I think that there are some aspects of the stadium, the dirt, you know, the wide open setup that will help, you know, at least give me some reassurance, uh, you know, on what to expect at Globe Life Field. Yeah, that's it. they seem like they might be pretty similar setups. I mean, and you know the area too where you're driving driving into and exactly. all that's that stuff. Exactly. That's probably the most stressful part that people often overlook is like, where do you keep your horse? Yeah. You know, what about traffic? You know, where can I keep him that he can sleep at night and where I can be comfortable and not, you know, have a bunch of traffic keeping him up or, you know, people walking by and, you know, causing trouble. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, you know, that's a, that's a really big factor to me. And, and that was something that, I was fortunate last year, you know, I found a really nice place and my horses were able to rest really well uh, close, so I didn't have a lot of miles on them going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at Arlington, you know, really, there's not a lot of places that are super close. Uh, most people are looking at, you know, Fort Worth and, and on west, like Rutherford, and, and I do have some great facilities about 60 miles out. And I can say that, uh, you know, that's a lot of miles on the horses every single day, especially with the traffic. Yeah. And so... You know, we're we're taking all that into consideration and trying to figure out what the best plan is for them. So, which horses are you going to take to Arlington? Uh, I will. Yeah, all four of them are going to be prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Foxy, High Range, Bo, and Chongo. Uh, I plan to primarily ride Bo and Chongo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's the game plan. But you know, this is the first time that we're you know most likely going to be running on a standard pattern ten nights in a row. Uh, you know, Vegas is about a 13-second pattern, so that just that difference in itself is it's going to be a little bit harder on the horses. Um, I feel like after a couple of runs, and uh, so I, you know, I'm fortunate I can rotate. Uh, you know, and lots of girls have backup horses. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not the only one um, with backup horses, and of course, we want to stay on our main our main horse um, as much as we can, you know, and try to win as much money as possible. But also in the same sense, you know, I, I want to utilize the horse star I have. And, and, uh, you know, it's, and truly, I mean, it's, it's a blessing to have uh, a couple horses to choose from. But even, you know, if I, if I rotate even just between Chongo and Bo, you know, it minimizes their runs and half, um, you know, if I run each of them five times. Yeah. And so, you know, that to me is pretty doable for them. I mean, they're, they're used to that rodeo and that, and I'm leaving them as fresh as I can. Uh, you know, Bo has had a rodeo since uh, Rapid City, which was a big, uh, you know, like the 22nd, 23rd of September. Uh, this week, actually, I'm taking him uh, to Texas for one rodeo, and that's the only thing he's going to have between uh, you know, Rapid City and the NFR. So he's going to have pretty fresh legs. And same with Chongo. Uh, you know, he, he got to run at the Tokyo Finals mm-hmm. uh, this third week of October. But uh, outside of that, he's had a pretty easy year. I mean, really, he's, he's fit. He's not the good life. He's been the one that's been on the trailer. Yeah. So I expect him, you know, being being pretty fresh in general, um, you know, to to be ready to rock at uh, Global Life Field. So it's just just trying to keep him feeling good and, and fresh. I mean, I, I know some girls take an opposite approach, and, you know, and they want to make, make runs, and, you know, at least one a week. Uh, you know, I've, I've never felt like that was beneficial for my horses. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's the fun thing about this is everybody has a different journey, and everybody knows their horse inside and out, what works for them and, and their team. So uh, there's no really right or wrong way to approach it. It's mm-hmm. just... Yeah, you, know, you gotta know, you gotta know your animal and and uh, have confidence in you know what you're doing. Yeah. 
Well, it sounds like you have a plan, and I'm excited to watch you get to run again at the NFR this year. It was good catching up with you, Emily, and I wish you the best of luck at the NFR this year. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for chatting with me today. Your grain market price is from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on November 3rd. Corn was down at $4.24. Wheat was up at $5.27. Milo was up at $5.21. And soybeans were down at $9.84. Oh, Kayleen, we forgot to mention. Folks, we want to we wanna thank everybody for listening to our, um, our podcast. And we got news this week that we received first place in the um, Livestock Publications Council for our podcast. So thank you everyone for listening all these um, episodes and thanks to the the good judges at Livestock Publications Council. Um, it's kind of nice to have the uh, the awards recognized or the, uh, the work recognized, right Kayleen? Yeah, it's kind of nice to, to get some hardware as Jenny would say. well we are only as good as our listeners and we want to thank you all for um helping us get to that great milestone so um here's to many more episodes and many more um recognitions if you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you sign up for our hpj direct email newsletters on our website www.hpj.com slash sign up simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email be sure to watch for our soybean genetics issue of high plains journal in your mailboxes november 16th with a story from david murray and you can look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com remember you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcast You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends.